you know, every time I go out there play and put that jersey on, I know that I'm representing so many people out there, you know, who you know, who have so much to hope for. It makes us go out there and just play so much more harder. Welcome to Building Teams with Matt Nunn. As a coach and as a leader of 150 people, Matt loves to build and lead strong teams. From CEOs to professional athletes, join him as he has honest, candid conversations about how to cultivate strong teams. Proudly presented by Nun Media, Australia's largest media buying agency. Hi, and thanks for joining me. I'm Matt Nunn. On today's episode of Building Teams, I'll be speaking with professional basketball player, and community leader, Kwani Kwani. Kwani has had an unbelievable playing career as well as an interesting life story. Before signing in the Croatian and Finland leagues, he played in Australia for the Cairns Taipans, the Ballarat Miners, the Sydney Kings, and last year, the Bendigo Braves. Kwani is often described as a kind, respectful, and dedicated person. His dedication to the game meant that as a teenager, he would wake up at 3 a.m., catch the train and tram all the way into Melbourne for basketball training. Kwani also runs the Kwani Kwani Foundation, which helps kids from all walks of life achieve their basketball goals. His foundation was in part inspired by his own personal journey of being born in a refugee camp in South Sudan before moving to Australia when he was nine years old. He's certainly been on a huge journey and we're really looking forward to hearing all about it. Hey, Kwani, thanks for joining me over there from Finland. Great to have you on, on today's show. Yes, sir. Now, thank you very much for having me, uh, Matt. It's always uh, been a pleasure watching your podcast and definitely happy to be on it. I'd like to start just a little bit about your story, about your personal journey, which I think is really interesting, about how you came to be in Australia, your childhood, your schooling. My understanding is you were born in a refugee camp in South Sudan and arrived in Melbourne when you were nine. So I'd really like just to hear your hear your story. No, absolutely. So as you mentioned, yeah, um, I was born in a refugee camp right on the border of South Sudan and Kenya called Kakuma, actually one of the biggest refugee camps in the world. And yeah, I lived there for a few years. Living there as, as a child is, a lot of people might think it's crazy, but it, it, it was fun, great life. You wake up every day, you just got no school to go to, you know, you just get up, have fun with your friends, play soccer, run around, whatever. Looking back now, you're like, man, it was a very tough life. But as a child, you know, that's, that, that, that's pretty much all we knew. From there, we were fortunate enough to move to small village in Kenya called Kapenguria. That's where I started going to school, started learning English. And, you know, it started living, I guess, what, what you call a normal life. And then after that, we were fortunate enough to move to Nairobi, uh, the capital, capital city of Kenya, and continue my education from there, um, you know, live with family. And at that point, you know, my family was fortunate enough to start applying for asylum to other Western countries, I guess, USA, Australia. And we we're fortunate enough to be granted asylum in Australia. And so in 2004, that's when we moved over to Melbourne, moved over to Melbourne in the western suburbs of Sunshine. And yeah. And was that your, your whole family? Did they, everybody get the visa to come in? Yes, yes. So my immediate family, so just me, my mom, my siblings. Yep. Uh, and then my dad, my dad ended up coming a few years later because he was still, still back there um, in the war and everything. So you're now in Melbourne as a young boy. I guess from from that point in time to where we are now, there's a really sort of a big South Sudanese community in Australia. Just everybody listening, could you help everybody understand, you know, what was the political instability in South Sudan which caused, I guess, you to be a refugee and and why you fled? No, absolutely. So um, Sudan was one big country. 
Uh, it was one big country that was uh, colonized by the English. And in, 19, in 1956, um, the English finally left and left Sudan in control of the, of the northern Arabs, who were predominantly Muslim. And the southern part of the country was uh, you know, predominantly Christian. And that's where majority of the resources were, the oil. Uh, it was green, a lot of food, a lot of, um, you know, just a lot of natural resources. And so when the English left and leaving the country in charge of the, of the Muslims, the Sudanese government pretty much tried to implement Sharia law on the whole country. Whereas majority of the Southerners were like, no, like this is not our way of life. You cannot force us, you know, to be Muslims. And then at the same time, also the oil in the South was being taken. Um, being sold and pretty much only the northern part was being developed. Whereas everyone in the south was just being left just poor, you know, living in huts, you know, living um, you know, very, very poor conditions. From there a movement was started, the SPLA movement, which is the South Sudan People's Liberation Army and movement. And from there that's when everybody, you know, um kinda said, We're gonna go fight for our rights, we're gonna go fight for our freedom, because uh, it's not how we want to live. So many people joined, my father included, my uncles, a lot of people in Australia, um and everywhere around the world I just saw um their family had, you know, pretty much contributed in the war as well. And so when that happened, the North, you know, was a country that already had a lot of weapons, big army, and they were able to, you know, destroy a lot of places in the south. And so when that happened, everybody just kind of fled everywhere. There's South Sudanese refugees everywhere across the world um, in all neighboring countries. Because when the war happened, you literally just pack up what you can and you just run. And you just run whichever direction. And you just hope you end up somewhere safe. So my family, we ended up in Kenya. Other people ended up in Uganda. Other people in Ethiopia. It literally just depended on where you end up, you really don't know where you just run. In the middle of the night, there'll be people on horsebacks. There'll be helicopters just dropping bombs and everybody. And you just have to just go and just, yeah, just run. Yeah. So that's why everyone, there's so many South Sudanese refugees in Australia and everywhere around the world. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds really scary. And, and what's the status of, of, uh, South Sudan now? Yeah, so after Africa's longest civil war, uh, South Sudan was able to gain independence in uh, 2011. Um, yeah, so, so now South Sudan, it's, uh, it's his own country, the youngest nation in the world. You're known as the Prince of South Sudan, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I wish, that would be great, that would be great, but now nah, it's, uh, you know, I'm uh. somewhere there. <laughs> so how did your childhood in Australia if you look back, you know, when you arrived here, differ from that childhood in Sudan? I, I was definitely one of the, one of the most fortunate, I'd say lucky kids. I was able to go to school uh, when I was in um, Kapenguri and then when I was in Nairobi as well. Family, my parents tried to make sure that we were in school, um, you know, just trying to live life as normal as possible. But I'd say the biggest difference was when, when we were living in Nairobi, we lived in like a two-bedroom house and we'd, we'd have... 15 up to like 20 people living in that house. And so everybody was close. Family was always there. You're always around, you know, family, your cousins, big, like a big family vibe. And then, um, upon moving to Australia, even though we still kind of lived close, everybody was, was so busy, you know, the Australian life, just work, work, this and that. Now, even though you live in the same city, it was still very hard to see people. You might go some months, sometimes up to a year without seeing, you know, close family relatives. And I just felt like everyone was so spread out. Whereas in Africa, it was just every single day you see everybody, big family. And I think that that's the main, like the biggest difference that I kind of found with the child, my childhood. Yeah. 
So do you remember the moment you sort of discovered, you know, you know, your love for basketball? And I think everybody that knows you knows that you walk around with a smile on your face 100% of the time, I think, even when you sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My love for basketball definitely started um, out in Sunshine West. I used to play around with, um, you know, a lot of my friends there, family. Um, it was mainly when I started playing with my uncles, Majan and Thiep. And, you know, they're the ones that introduced me to basketball, um, started taking me to the games and trainings and everything. And I think my love for the game definitely started just, you know, by just bonding around them, being around them. Um, it was just simply, you know, a way to just go play basketball. Afterwards, we'll go get something to eat, go back home, like just watch a movie or something. It was just a way to just hang out and just have fun. I think that's where it started. And then once I kind of started going playing like domestically and I just saw like, all the other South Sudanese kids, the way it brought everybody together and, you know, just put the potential to build something out of this. I think that's when I fell in love with it more. And what is it that you love about the game? There's so much things I love about basketball. I think besides, you know, the competitive nature of it, just the trainings, the winning, the travel and everything, just the fact that it just brings, you know, brings a lot of people together. In a way, it helps you, you know, just kind of, I guess forget about, you know, a lot of the crazy things, um, you know, going on in life, uh, you know, especially being from South Sudan, there's always a lot of things going on, a lot of things going on back home, um, you know, that you're worried about. How is, you know, so-and-so family, the people that are suffering there? When I play basketball, it's just, you know, like a breath of fresh air definitely just helps you forget about everything. Enjoy it for a moment. And then just the tools just to be able to connect with people. Like if it wasn't for basketball, you know, I don't think I would have met you. And, you know, you're someone that I definitely value in life. Uh, you know, very happy, you know, to be connected with you. And I think these are the things that basketball bring in life, you know, being able to travel, get a degree, graduate, and just being able to, you know, keep connecting and just growing your life. Yeah. Just on that, for the first time ever, South Sudan looks like they will make it to the Basketball World Cup and you've been named team captain. What does this mean to the people of your homeland? I, I, I remember seeing some footage. I think you arrived from somewhere on a plane into South Sudan and there was seemed like there was like 400,000 people there waiting for yes, you to yes, arrive. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> actually, to tell you a fun fact, the plane was delayed by about three, four hours. That was actually half of the people that were there. A lot of people went back home. So that, that was still like crazy how many people were there. Yeah, but just just um, just to mention, yeah, first of all, South Sudan basketball has only been around for two years. And so the fact that we're this far away to qualify for the World Cup is just crazy to think about. Um, for the people, every time you hear about South Sudan on the media, um, just international media, even in Australia, unfortunately, it's always, you know, negative news, you know, war, poverty, famine food insecurity. And so for our people, this is something that, you know, it's one of the greatest things to happen to them. It's something that they, you know, they can uphold that, like, this is something that we're good at. This is our thing, something that, you know, would help change the narrative around South Sudan. And so as you saw, when we went back, it, it was crazy. Like so many people were just very emotional, very tearful, because they know the potential that South Sudan has, you know, if we come together and, you know, you know work towards bettering ourselves. You know, every time I go out there, play and put that jersey on, I know that I'm representing so many people out there, you know, who, you know, who just want, you know, who have so much to hope for, you know, they have so much to hope for. And, you know, just being able to see the national team out there play is literally the only thing that, you know, they say they smile about. It's the only thing that puts, you know, brings cheerness and happiness in their life. And so going back there, seeing everybody, how happy they were, they were just crying. 
you know, makes us go out there and just play so much more harder. And we really, we really cannot wait for the next window to come and finally get that win and, you know, progress to the World Cup. Being captain of that team, what leadership skills and, and values will you bring to that team? Yeah. I think for me, it's just about uh, just trusting my teammates. You know, uh, it's a team of um, very professional guys, guys that have played at a high level. You know, the main thing is just trust and belief in them. Just letting them know that, you know, we're all in this together. Uh, this is not a team. Uh, it's not my team. It's not your team. You know, it's South Sudan's team. And, you know, to just get everybody to buy in, be together, try to limit any distractions, anything else that will try to divide us. So it's all about just bringing us together, just knowing that we have one big goal that, we, that we're trying to accomplish. And, um, you know, try to do the right thing by South Sudan, try to you know, help change the narrative by going out there, playing the right way, doing the right things, whether we're at the hotel, whether we're traveling on the basketball court, you know, just showing everybody that, you know, we're here, we're here to play, we're here to help change the narrative and we're just here, you know, to just do our job. And so it's pretty much just leading the right way, showing them how things are done and, you know, just lead by example. That's pretty much it. You also give back to the community in basketball, but also, you know, from a South Sudanese point of view, and you, you sort of set up the Kwani Kwani Foundation where you strive to give back to the kids of all walks of life. Yes. Could you tell us a little bit about the work that you do and what you like about doing that? Kwani Kwani Foundation uh, pretty much started um, after a group of my friends and I, when we were playing rep, a lot of us really wanted to, you know, progress our basketball careers. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of guys couldn't pay for uniforms couldn't pay for registrations and you know that really stopped their careers because teams couldn't take them on no one was able to drop them off to games on fridays or trainings and stuff and so from there a lot of them just went off and did something else unfortunately led to you know uh, criminal activities and things like that and for me i just wanted to try to help sure help make sure that you know a lot of kids don't miss out whether it's because of things like paying for uniforms registrations or just being able to give them another way to come and train to just, even though it's not rep, they can come and train, help play and, you know, find a different pathway. And so after I finished college, came back and played professionally. Uh, my first year, that's when my friends and I started it. From there, we were able to start off with doing some camps and, you know, there was a large turnout of kids that came and, you know, they loved it. They loved it, just being able to come down and just for a day or two, come down, train, play basketball, I mean, I was able to see, I was able to see, you know, just how much that meant to them, even though they were not playing at a high level, whether it was rep or state, just the fact that they were able to come down, just train, be around other kids. You know, that's what I loved about it. And so from there, we're able to do a camp again um, the next year. And we're trying to just get it to grow every single year, trying to help kids, you know, whether they need help, whether it's paying for registrations, uniform, you know, want to let them know that you guys can come and talk to us and we'll be able to try and help find ways, you know, to put you in places playing basketball, whether it's going to high school in the States, college, I will just trying to be able to help them, you know, to do that and grow their basketball careers. I know something you focus on in that foundation is really encouraging kids to persist through adversity. Yes, um, yes What advice do you have for someone that feels like the challenge in front of them is too great? The main, the main advice I give them is, um, you know, don't try to look at the big picture you know, don't try to look at the end goal. I think for me, the best thing to do is just break it down, go by go. Just try to work on, okay, today or by this week, I'm going to try and accomplish this goal at a time. And then from there, I'm going to go to the next thing. But that makes it easier and it makes, um, you know, it makes it a bit more like attainable. And you can see, okay, if I just work on this day by day, I can accomplish this by, you know, by the end of the year or, you know, sooner or later, um, I'll, I'll, I'll get to there rather than just trying to think I'm going to try to finish this goal by today. 
that's pretty much the main advice that I give to them. Just break it down, set your goals, set a plan, and just slowly build up, build up to it. Just know that it's not going to happen overnight, but it's going to, you know, it's going to take some time to, to get there. I think everybody that knows you as well, you know, looks at you as a leader within your community. And I know a lot of people sort of look up to you in a lot of different ways. Yeah. So what do you think it takes to be a great leader? I think for me, the best thing I'd say that a lot of people told me that makes me a great, as you say, a great leader is just the fact that uh, just respecting the people, um, respecting everybody, respecting everybody's values and opinions. And just trying to understand and get to know everybody on a personal level. I think that's kind of what a lot of people said um, helped make me stand out from a lot of people. Just the fact that I actually try to get to know the people, listen to them, spend time with them. You know, just try to lead by example. I think that's that's the main thing that I've heard from a lot of people. Just trying try to lead by example, yeah. You're a college graduate from Chaminade in Hawaii. Yeah. Where I think you were an All-American. Yes, you yes, yes. played professionally in the NBL at Cairns, Sydney, in the NBL one at um, Ballarat, where I met you. Now you're you've been to Croatia and Finland. You've played with a lot of different players uh, yes, yes. across a lot of different scopes and countries. What to you makes a great teammate? For me, a great teammate is um, someone that brings it every single day at practice. Um, you know, they're never gonna. Try to take a day off, but they're going to come in every single day, work, work hard, um, you know, build that relationship uh, with coaches and the players, uh, buy in and, mm-hmm. you know, just try to be the best teammate possible. And just in the sense that they're going to try and do whatever it takes to win. No sense of jealousy or no sense of, you know, trying to kick the other person on the side. It's just one of those things where if you're going to try and work, trying to take my spot, we're going to work hard for it. We're going to fight hard for it, but not trying to, you know, throw you under the bus or any way to, you know, trying to get my advantage over you. Yeah. I think those are what makes a great teammate, someone that just buys in, trying to build a relationship with yeah, everybody. And who is the best teammate you've ever played with? That's tough. That's tough. I think for me... If uh, you were to pick one. If I was to pick one, ooh. As of recent, I'd say definitely Big Dang, Big Dang Akuth. You no, know, we've definitely played. Uh, <laughs> he's someone that, you know, just comes in, brings it every single game. Sometimes the numbers don't speak, um, but he's just everywhere on the court, blocking every single shot defensively. And for him, it's just about winning. It's just about winning. He loves the game. He gets along with everybody, all the coaches, all the players. And, you know, he's someone that mm. I, I love playing with. I definitely love playing with him. And, um, you know, we play together through Ballarat on the national team. And, you know, I definitely hope keep playing together a lot more in the future. Looking at your career, I think the biggest knock coaches have probably had from an NBL standpoint is, or the area of improvement may may have been your three-point shooting when you go back to Cairns, when you go back to perhaps Sydney. It feels like to me you've improved out of sight and the numbers speak for themselves in your three-point percentages, but it's disappointing for me that you haven't got a NBL opportunity off the back of that. And, yep, and yep, yep. I think people still classify you as the same player and you've had to go overseas to get those opportunities. What have you got to say to those coaches? <laughs> yeah, uh, as you mentioned, yeah, it's uh, for me, it's just one of those things where it's like, it was unfortunate they said that, you know, I wasn't, uh, wasn't a shooter, uh, but I, def- I went and worked on it. Like you said, the numbers show. But it's one of those things where I tell a lot of guys as well, like if, if coaches here say you're not good at this, there's a lot of other leagues, you know, everywhere around the world. Um, there's so much basketball to be played everywhere else. And then for me, I just told myself, 
if this is not working out, I'm going to go out there, play here, prove it somewhere else. You know, there's other coaches that will see like, wow, this guy can really shoot. And, you know, in this league, they classify me now as, you know, as a shooter. And a lot of coaches in the, in the NBL are seeing that, but I'm just like, I'm just going to worry about, you know, what's here right now. Um, you know, my game speaks for itself. Like you said, the stats show. And, you know, I'm just going to, you know, keep doing what I have to do and not worry so much about that and just take care of business over here. Okay. So it's time for our buzzer beaters. So okay. I've got five rapid fire <laughs> questions Okay. with rapid fire short answers to wrap up the interview. Let's go. Who inspires you? Uh, my dad. What's your favorite post-game meal? Chicken and pasta. What's something you're grateful for today? My family and friends. What's something on your bucket list? I have to go to see the pyramids. Okay, if you were the Prime Minister or President of South Sudan for a day, what's the first thing you'd change? First thing I'd change is the distribution of wealth across the country. Okay, well, that's all we have time for today. But Kwani, thank you very much for coming on. We appreciate you taking the time out from your league over there and your, your training time in Finland. Thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Now, thank you so much for having me, Nani. Uh, it's great to be on you. Finally be on your show. Thanks for listening to the Building Teams podcast. For more information about Matt and Nun Media, visit nunmedia.com.au. Follow the show for future episodes and leaving a review or rating helps others find the podcast.